And so uh, this semester we've been going through the book of Genesis and we took a little bit of a break while uh, Jeb worked us through a couple of the Psalms, which was wonderful. And uh, we're getting back though, we're going to finish out the next uh, few weeks kind of wrapping up the beginning part of the book of Genesis. And uh, tonight we're going to be introduced to a character named Abram or Abraham. And... uh, just to kind of update you, if you haven't been here or if, you know, in the last like a month you've lost track of kind of what we've covered, um, well, we've, we've been looking at this first book of the Bible, and in the first book of the Bible, uh, God creates a world, and he creates out of love. Uh, he creates a world in love, and he creates people uh, as his most cherished possession if you will, and uh, the world he creates is wonderful and good, and tragedy strikes in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve uh, reject their God, when they reject this one who made them for himself, and what we saw is that uh, everything falls apart from that point on in the world, and we saw things like the first murder between Cain and Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis, and Uh, We saw that the wickedness of humanity uh, continued to grow and grow and grow, and yet God at no point gives up on his people. And so tonight, uh, I'm going to read for us this passage, uh, which introduces Abraham, and it really introduces, you know, this idea of how can God, how is God going to, like, permanently fix things here for us, uh, given how messed up everything is. And so... I'm going to start us off in chapter 11, verse 27, and read through uh, some of chapter 12 as well. Uh, So follow along with me up here. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember that place. Uh, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. Remember that. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. 
And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Uh, Let's pray. There's a lot of weird stuff in there that we need help with. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Would you guide us through it now? Uh, Give us insight into it. Uh, Work it into our hearts to make us different, uh, to feed our souls, and uh, to make us into more of the people that you made us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Have you noticed lately when you go to the movies... And you, especially if you go to see like some kind of action movie, and you know how they have like ten previews now before every movie, and how like if you go to a movie like like I went to see Star Wars not too long ago, and there were like ten previews before that, and like nine out of ten of the previews were about movies where the world was about to end. Have you noticed this trend? How like you know it's something we think about a lot, and I think that part of the reason we think about it is like we look around our world and we're like maybe this is about to end. Like, what is going on, uh, you know, based on a lot of things going on in our world? And um, in this text, like, this is, you know, if you were reading through the book of Genesis, kind of biblically, this is a point where mankind is on the brink. And you may not see that at first, but um, what we saw earlier in Genesis is that from the time that Adam and Eve sinned against God and the world fell apart, Uh, The way that God had planned to save the world is he made this promise that one day there would be a descendant of Adam and Eve that would defeat evil. You know, it says that, uh, it talks about the serpent. It says he would uh, crush the head of the serpent, uh, representing evil. And so uh, we're kind of holding out at this point that there would be this descendant that is going to overcome evil and make everything better again. And so up until this point, like that's why there's all these like genealogy stuff at the beginning of this, because it's tracing this line of people. And you're thinking like everyone is like, is this the one? Is this the one that we can put our hope in? And uh, and the reason this mankind is on the brink here is because it's tracing it out. And at this point, the the sea, the offspring of the woman, as it's traced out, is in Iraq worshiping the moon. Like Abram, like Ur of the Chaldeans is in Iraq. And so far away from where, you know, the storyline is centered in Israel. And uh, he's worshiping the moon. The reason we know that is because the name Terah means moon. And because that city Ur of the Chaldeans was like the center of moon worship in the ancient world. Uh, So this would be a guy, he's gotten, he's not like a, particularly good person. Uh, He definitely does not know God at all, like in any sense of the word. And um, there's another problem, though, an even bigger problem, which is that uh, he's married to a woman who is unable to have children. So things are looking like very, very bleak for the, like if God is going to save humanity through this genealogy, this line, like this is the end. We should, be, we should be reading this thinking, oh, crap, it's over. Um, you know, this is the last hope of, like, someone who might come to know. Like, at this point, no one really knows God. Like, there's no people in the world that know the Creator. And, um, you know, it's not good. And the situation seems to be hopeless. And... I think it's a text that kind of begs us to think about, like, well, what are, what are the situations that I think are hopeless? And, you know, 
you might think about your own life and think, you know, there are situations in my life that seem like it would be impossible to ever get better. Or you might think about your family. Or you might just kind of look around at our world and get really depressed. Or, uh, you know, politics. Or you might think of like a certain kind of sin that you in particular struggle with that you can't get over. And what I want us to see is that God's solution to despair and to hopelessness is that God calls. God, you know, what is God's solution when mankind is on the brink, when we are on the brink? His solution is that he calls. Um, when, when we looked at the creation account, what we saw is that God called the world into existence. Remember that? Let there be light. Let there be sun and moon and so on, right? And at this point, God's beginning his work of not creating, but recreating. And what they have, both have in common is that God calls. In this text, he calls Abram. This man named Abram. Uh, some of you may be wondering, you know, he starts out being called Abram. Eventually he's called Abraham. Uh, those are two names that are related. Abram means exalted father. And Abraham means father of a multitude. Uh, so uh, as Abram embraces this promise of God, his name uh, becomes uh, Abraham. But uh, that's kind of a side point. Because uh, I wanna, what I want to talk about today is the call of God. And when I talk to you guys often... A question I like to ask is, what do you think it means to be a Christian? And I hear all kinds of answers to that question. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? But the, one of the answers that I hear uh, very frequently is, like, a Christian is someone who loves people, or a Christian is someone who does what's right, or things like that. And uh, when I hear that, what I'm always quick to point out is that, you know, you're not telling me what a Christian is, you're telling me what a Christian does. And so... We need to do better than that when we think about what it means to be a Christian. And the definition I want us to work with tonight is that a a Christian is someone whom God has called. Uh, And so what we're going to look at tonight as we think about the call of God, you know, what it means to be a Christian, what makes your life special is that you've been called by God, is what is the call of God, first of all? And then the second question I want to look at is how do we receive it? So what is it and how do we receive it? So the first question is what is the call of God? And what I want us to see first is that it's our only hope. Like the call of God is our, like the situation in this is so bleak. Like the only way it can be fixed is if God himself comes calling. Like Abram is not going to call God at this point. Uh, You know, it's our only hope because God is God and we are not God. Uh, we, we come into this world with this disposition to run from God. And we do it in all kinds of ways. Some, in some ways, uh, you know, sometimes we can run from God by like, living a really neat and tidy life and proving that we don't need him. Or we can run away from God by being like, really rebellious in other ways. Uh, but our only hope is that there would be a God who is way different than we thought and calls people that have nothing going for them, like Abram, in this passage. A moon worshiper. Someone who God should not call. Uh, so it's our only hope. Another thing about you know, what is God's call is that it's personal. What you need to know about God's call is that it's personal. Uh, you know, there is a general, God kind of generally calls to all people through creation. You know, you can look around at our world and how wondrous it is and say like, yeah, you know, God is here. But, uh, 
to some people, God says, come, you like, you need to come and be mine. You need to come belong to me. And, uh, you know, so in a very real sense, like God, like God doesn't kind of extend this broad call in this passage and Abram's the only one who responds. Like God says, Abram, like, I know you. I want you to be mine. Come be mine. You know, in the same way that he would say, you know, Eric, I want you to be mine. Like, I know who you are. I'm, I'm a personal God. And I want you, like, I'm calling you to come be mine. So it's our only hope. And it's personal. Uh, and it's also rooted completely in grace. Uh, a few years ago, I have a friend. I, I got to be, one of the cool parts about what I do in ministry is that I get to officiate a lot of weddings. And uh, so a lot of college students go on to get married. And I have friends from uh, various points in life that have gotten married. And I've got to be part of their wedding ceremony. And I had a friend that I did this for. And uh, I was talking to him. And he was getting married. And he was like, how the heck? Like, I want to go on a honeymoon. Like, I just don't know how we're going to go on any kind of honeymoon that's going to be, like, remotely cool and good. And out of the blue, he got a phone call. And this guy called him up, and he was like, hey, you don't know me. You know my nephew, though. And I just, you know, I'm a guy who travels a lot for work, and I just want to hook you up. And so, like, you know, what I do is I stay at the best hotels in the world for my work. You know, I go to the fanciest, like, most beautiful places. And so what I want to do is I want to send you to my favorite hotel. It's a four-diamond hotel in Mexico. I want to pay for all your first-class airfare, too. And when you get to the airport, like, my, drive, my personal driver is going to pick you up. And he's going to take you and your new wife uh, to this, uh, what I think is probably the best hotel in the world. And, you know, what do you do? You're just like, what? Like, thank you? Um, we need to see, like, I don't know what picture you have of what God is like, but that's what God is like. That's the God we see in this passage is Abram. Abram is lost in this passage. Like, he is, does not know anything. And God says, Abram, let's go. Come be mine. You know, the stranger to God, God says, like, I want to bring you in to everything that I have. Uh, You know, not because he's a good guy. Remember, like, we think, oh, Abraham's in the Bible. He must have been a good guy. No, he wasn't then. You you can read stories about Abram after this passage that prove he wasn't a good guy. Uh, So God's call for Abram and for us is, is fully rooted in grace. Okay? Uh, the next thing, though, that I want you to see is that his call requires us to leave. Um, you know, God says to Abram, he says, leave your country, leave your family, and go to this land of Canaan that I'm kind of preparing for you. And what you need to see, like, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal because, like, we leave the country sometimes, right? And you guys have all left your family in some sense to come here, and it wasn't that big of a deal. But uh, in that time, it's every, like, if you, to leave your country and your family is to, like, leave every source of comfort and security that you know. Like, the equivalent is, like, drain your bank accounts, throw out all the logins and passwords to them, and, like, you know, cut yourself off from every source of comfort that you know and go. Um, so I want you to, you know, like, I want you to think of what will you have to leave, what sources of comfort might you have to leave behind to follow Jesus? You know, what are the places that you find security 
and comfort. And you know, for some of you, it might mean leaving behind some friends to follow Jesus. And for some of you, it might mean leaving behind some family to follow Jesus. For some of you, it might be, be leaving behind a certain reputation that you have with certain people that you care what they think of you. It might mean leaving behind a lifestyle. You know, it might mean leaving behind a vice that's not good for you, like drunkenness or something like that. Not because it's the worst, like the worst thing, but because drunkenness is not compatible with knowing the God of the universe. Um, you know, we could talk about a lot of, you know, what is it for you currently that following God might make you have to leave behind? Uh, what sources of security might you have to leave, like Abram does in this passage? Uh, so it requires us to leave, in a sense. Uh, it also requires us, and we see this in this passage, it requires us to not know how it's all going to work out. This is a big one, right? Like, Abram has no clue how this is going to... Like, we can read through the Bible and be like, oh, it had a happy ending for Abram. Like, of course he went. But this is a guy, like, he knows not... He goes um, not knowing anything. And, you know, I, I, one thing I talk with a lot of you about as we meet up is, like, man, don't we love to know, like, what the path ahead is going to be? Like, all I want out of life is to be able to, like, trace ahead of my life and know that it's going to be okay. And to follow Jesus ultimately means leaving that notion aside in some sense. You know, like, there is, there's ultimate security in it, but what we don't know is, like, you know, where is God going to take me exactly? Will I feel exposed along the way? Um, Christians, to follow God means you don't necessarily get to have that. And, okay, so the final thing I want to talk about in this, what the call of God is, is that, and this is a really important one, we see it in verse 2 here, is that the call of God ultimately extends out. In verse 2, God says, he's talking to Abram, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Uh, do you see what he's saying in there? He's saying, like, I don't bless people for them. I bless people for the good of the world. Um, you know, Abram, what you're doing now, like what it means for me to bless you and call you is that you are now going to join me in what I'm doing in the world. Like you're going to join me in this mission that I'm on to save the world from death and evil and destruction. You're on the same mission as me now to draw the world back to myself. And what it means for us is that, you know, God calls us to go with him too. Uh, God calls us to go with him where he's going and join him in what he's doing. Uh, what that means is there's no private Christianity. You know, I, I, a lot of times, like, people talk about Christianity and they say things today like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I kind of keep that to myself. Or, you know, I, I'm, I don't like to be public about it. Or, you know, I don't like to, you know, I, it's okay for me, but whatever is good for you is fine too. And, you know, what this is saying is that there's no such, like, there's no such thing as a private Christian. Because what it means to be called by God and ultimately to be a Christian is that you're called for a purpose. You're, and it's an amazing purpose. Like, the purpose is partner with God. Like, come be my partner in this mission that I'm on. Um, 
So it extends out. God always blesses people so that they can bless, you know, so that they can bring others into this blessed relationship, uh, the relationship with the king of the universe. So that's the call of God in a nutshell. We could say a lot more about it, but I want to close by thinking about if that's the call, how do we receive it? Uh, And to answer that question, we need to see that there's a much bigger picture in this story. That's much more than just about Abram. Um, Look at what he promises to Abram. He promises that he's going to become a great nation, that nation we later learn will be called Israel. Uh, he says his name will be made great. He'll, he'll be blessed so that he can be a blessing. There's this land. He says, I'm going to give this land, Canaan, to your descendants, which happens to still belong to Israel to this day. And it says that, Ab- like what it's saying is, Abram and his descendants are going to be this new community that shows God to the rest of the world. Uh, the relationship that God has with Abram is going to be the start of something new. It's like he's saying, I'm going to give you, Abram, this special relationship with me and I'm going to make you into a community, you and your descendants, and this community is going to save the world. I'm going to use this community to save the world from this downward spiral into awfulness. The basic idea of how he's going to save the world is he's going to put himself on display through Abraham, through his his descendants. They're going to be these special representatives. And it's like, do you want to know what God is like? Look at this people. They will show you. Do you want to be in with God? You have to now be in with this guy, Abraham. That's how this is going to work. But I want you to think about this. What does this all hinge on? What is all of this hinge on? The fact that Abram would have a kid, right? And there's some problems like the fact that his wife is old uh, that she hasn't been able to have a kid for a long, long... Like, she has been unable to have a kid. Essentially, what's going to happen is it will take an actual miracle to pull this off. It's not going to come through human effort. Like, God is going to be the one that saves, and he's going to do it through a miracle. So for Abraham, receiving the call of God is going to depend on him putting trust in this God of grace. You know, to say, like... I don't know how, but you, you will, like, what it's going to take is you're going to have to fulfill your promise through this miracle. Like, there's going to have to be a miracle birth. The salvation of the world depends on a miracle birth. And what we'll see going forward is that it happens. Isaac is born. Isaac miraculously is born to this elderly woman who's never been able to have a kid. And Isaac has a couple kids. Their names are Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has 12 kids. And they become this nation Israel. And it really works. Like they go and inherit eventually this promised land. Um, But what you need to see as far as the bigger picture goes is that from that line will continue... So that will continue to lead to another miraculous birth. Like, what will come from this people is a true miraculous birth, a true child of promise. When God says to Abram, I'm going to use you to save the world, what he has in mind, ultimately, is he's saying, I'm going to use Jesus to save the world. Like This call that God makes is all like 2,000 years ahead of time. It's all about Jesus. But the thing about it is that it's a radical call, right? 
Like, being called by God will shake up your life. You know, think back to when we were thinking earlier about, like, what do I need to, what might I need to leave behind to answer God's call? Um, You know, what do you need to leave behind? What will it cost you personally to follow God? How could we possibly, you know, as you think about the difficulty of that, how can we do it? Uh, The way we can do it, and the reason that we need to know that this is all about Jesus, is that Jesus is the one who gives the power to the call. Um, Jesus is, like, when we look at Abraham, we need to see a picture of Jesus. Jesus Jesus is the true Abraham. You know, in this story, Abraham leaves family and his kindred and his home, and he leaves. Um, Jesus leaves true security. Uh, Jesus leaves the security of being God, and, be- and he becomes man. Uh, Jesus leaves true wealth. By- you know, you can't be any wealthier than sitting on the throne in heaven, and Jesus leaves that behind. Uh, Jesus loses control in a way that we could never, ever imagine, which is uh, submitting to even death for us. Uh, Jesus loses everything so that he could give us absolute security. Uh, he lost everything so that he could give us everything. Uh, and what he, you know, the best thing that he gives us is that the, you know, the eternal God, the holy God, the one who made us, can now be known by us. Uh, we can know him in that personal way. Uh, we can be eternally wealthy and blessed with him through Jesus. Jesus is how we receive the call. Jesus makes us able to receive the call. Uh, He, in a sense, earns the call on our behalf. Now, um, some of you here may not be Christians tonight, and that's great. I'm really glad that you're here. Like, we always want RUF to be a place uh, where both Christians and people that would consider themselves to not be Christians to come. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe God is, like, maybe you should be open to the idea that God is calling you. Maybe you need to turn from whatever it is that you functionally trust in and trust in a God who's like this instead. Uh, Some of you I know are Christians. And maybe for you what this text means is, you know, maybe responding to God's call means letting go a little bit more. Maybe it means putting yourself out there a little bit more and seeing how God might use you on this mission that he's on to extend his love, to extend his salvation uh, to a world uh, that is in deep need of it. Uh, So I want you to think of that as we close Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing our last song. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are uh, this gracious. Uh, We're thankful that knowing we don't earn our way to you because we never could. Uh, We're thankful that you deal with the fact that we are rebellious and run from you, uh, that your call Uh, through Jesus, enables us to actually come. Uh, And we pray that we would come to know him more. Uh, I pray for those here who don't uh, consider themselves to be Christians, and I pray that uh, you would uh, make your call to them clear, 
and enable them to come. I pray for those who do consider themselves to be Christians. Uh, I pray that you would uh, take us out of our comfort zone more and more uh, and unite us to you and your mission uh, to extend love and mercy and grace uh, to those we encounter. Uh, Make us different, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.